Hi, and welcome to another episode of Nexium on Trial, a Times Union podcast, our first in a little bit more than a year. Uh, I am Casey Seiler, Editor-in-Chief of the Times Union, joined by... Robert Gavin, Cops and Courts Reporter. And Jessica Marshall, Multimedia Producer and Producer of Nexium on Trial. And we are here to talk about the second season of HBO's The Vow, the documentary series on the decline and fall of the shadowy organization known as Nexium. You're going to be the agent of change. Imagine you spent 22 years trying to build something, and everybody thinks it's the devil's work. People For the next stay. six weeks, we are going to be uh, reviewing each new episode of The Vow as it comes out. We are talking Tuesday morning, the morning after the release of the first episode, the title of which was Tests of Loyalty. To start off, let's just go around the horn and talk about our reaction to this first episode and sort of what it what it means for uh, for the vow and kind of the the public perception of Nexium. Rob, you covered the federal trial of Keith Raniere day by day. So let's start with you. The uh, first episode I thought started pretty consistent with where the last season ended. We saw Keith Raniere's arrest at the end of the first season and now we move on to the trial phase. What I thought was interesting is in actuality, Keith Raniere and Allison Mack were charged initially and then the superseding indictment was a few months later. Uh, it wasn't entirely clear in the episode that that was two separate instances. They, they showed Mark Vicente and his wife, Bonnie Peace, who were huge parts of the first season of The Vow. Those are both Nexium defectors looking at their cell phones and seeing that the superseding indictment had come down on Keith, Allison Mack, Claire Bronfman, Lawrence Salzman, and of course, Nancy Salzman, who is apparently going to be a very big part of this series as she is shown in the trailers and in this episode of having spoken at length to the vow. What would happen if each of my secrets came out? Arrested today, Nancy Salzman, as well as her daughter, Lauren Salzman. The upside of letting go of your secrets is that you will have a lot more freedom. Yeah, and, and just to establish the timeline here, it was the fall right around this time in 2017, almost exactly five years ago, that the New York Times broke the story about DOS, the secret organization within Nexium that was essentially a, a sexual slavery pyramid scheme where women handed over uh, so-called collateral, which is basically blackmail material, and were, were essentially turned into, uh, and this was the explicit word that was used, slaves for folks higher up in this structure. Uh, that really brought Nexium down. And then uh, Keith Raniere was arrested in the uh, late winter, early spring of 2018. And then, as you note, the superseding indictment of five women within Nexium's leadership structure, including Nancy Salzman, Claire Bronfman, who was the Seagram's heiress, who was a funder of uh, many of Nexium's operations, as well as Lauren Salzman, the daughter of Nancy Salzman, Allison Mack, who was a higher up within DOS, the former Smallville actress, 
and um, Nancy Russell. Do I have that name correct? Who was uh, Kathy uh, Russell? Kathy Russell. Thank you, Rob. Who was the uh, essentially kind of the bookkeeper for Nexium? And then in early 2019, in what was going to be the run up to the federal trial, they all pleaded guilty to various charges. Nancy Salzman pleaded to racketeering, wasn't it, Rob? Yeah, racketeering conspiracy. Uh, Nancy and her daughter. Lawrence Salzman pled guilty to racketeering and racketeering conspiracy. Nancy's now serving three and a half years in prison in West Virginia on that charge. Yeah, they so they all pleaded guilty, leaving Keith Ranieri to stand alone. And he was convicted, as they say, on all charges. He is now at a federal facility outside of Tucson, Arizona, where he, as far as the federal government would like to have it, will be for the rest of his natural life. But yes, you're right. It seemed like the timeline could get a little bit confusing. And there was a lot of kind of shuttling back and forth to uh, the arrest in Mexico, for example, which I, I think it seemed like provided some of the most uh, gripping footage. I had not seen that cell phone footage of Ranieri's arrest before, where he was essentially found in, in a closet. Definitely some of the most riveting testimony was Lawrence Salzman explaining how the authorities came into their hotel room. And at the time, this is about March 25th, 2018, they're in a little fishing village in Mexico known as Shikala. And this is where Ranieri is, is hanging out for the night, uh, hoping to meet up with a number of his former quote unquote slaves, their current slaves at the time. And the police come in. And when they come in, Lauren Salzman testifies that she has four guns pointed at her head. And she's essentially there putting her hands up for Keith and Keith Ranieri hid in a closet. So that was a huge part of the testimony that she said, I couldn't believe that I would be there for Keith and that Keith would be there for Keith. You know, and at the time, Lauren is still extremely loyal to Keith Ranieri, but that's sort of a, a huge dent in the armor, so to speak looking back that when the police came for Keith, he was looking out for himself, hiding in a closet in the villa while she faced machine guns. Jess, what were, what was your response to this first episode? Both, I, I would say as a, a Nexium observer and as, as just kind of somebody who well understands TV technique, documentary technique. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how I was, looking at this episode because, you know, I came into this, you know, thinking that I'd read and heard everything that there was to know about the trial. Uh, you know, we covered a lot of that on this podcast as well as Rob's fine reporting. There were things that I learned that were new, but I was mainly looking at it from a filmmaking perspective. Um, <clears throat> I was very curious coming in and the first episode didn't necessarily answer this question for me, but very curious coming in as to how they were going to cover the trial itself, because obviously there's no cameras or any recording devices in the courtroom. I mean, I remember when we went for Allison Mack's sentencing, I was basically stripped of every single digital device that I had when I walked into the, you know, the courthouse itself. So there was there was no chance to really record what was happening. I, I kind of ended the first episode really still wondering how that was going to be conducted. But I was fascinated by some of the new things that I learned, like 
the bit with Karen Unterreiner where, you know, she just kind of casually walks over to a bookshelf and pulls off Keith's mom's ashes in a can. Like that was just kind of a moment that I was, you know, I didn't really expect. It was a very small thing, but it was kind of just a, a startling moment that I just kind of, you know, can't forget now. Next to the ashes of a cat. Um, exactly. His cat, right? What was the cat's name? Was it Cuddles? Cuddles. Yeah. I mean, what kind of, uh, and Karen Unterreiner, for those maybe not familiar with this full dramatis personae, is uh, a, one of the many Nexium former girlfriends of Keith Raniere, who uh, was ultimately targeted by the organization and kind of fed into the legal, the litigation uh, meat grinder that that Nexium deployed against those who were seen as as having betrayed Keith. So the idea that I mean, what kind of person leaves his mother's ashes with a former girlfriend, uh, <laughs> you know, who, who you end up targeting? Perhaps somebody who does not have the best uh, of relations with women, perhaps? I don't know. I mean, the thing about Karen, you got to remember, is Karen Unterreiner goes back to the very beginning with Keith Raniere. Karen went to RPI with Keith. That's when he met Karen Unterreiner. She was a very high-ranking member of the organization who lived in Knox Woods. Uh, They showed during the episode last night where Keith Raniere lived on Flintlock. That was that little uh, drive in in the Knox Woods development and Half Moon. And Karen is one of the people who is part of Keith's inner circle. She's one of these uh, women that he surrounded himself with. And they showed some videotape too of Pam Kafritz and a number of people who was there at the beginning. And he's one of these people who's very intelligent. And you saw last night's episode how she's basically saying, I want to be you. I want to be everything that you are. And, and that's very... That's very consistent with what we've seen with people who were in Nexium. They have this sort of idolization of Keith Raniere. Like he's sort of up there, uh, to quote Mark Vicente's testimony from the, the trial. It's like they saw him as some kind of god. And and you look at just the way people gaze upon him. He's built up in this huge figure. And Karen, someone who I've spoken to Karen, she's a very intelligent uh, person. She's one of many people that when you meet them, there's this sort of question of, how could you get pulled into this? But as we've heard from a number of cult experts, that everybody is susceptible to this sort of coercive control that cults have. And in last night's episode, I thought, in addition to Keith's mother's ashes, which honestly, it, that was like something right out of the trial. I mean, as Jess said, there's that jolt of like, did I really just hear that? Did I really just see that? That's what the trial was like. It was every day something like that. I think Karen's comments about Nancy's potential knowledge of DOS, I had never heard that before. That was really interesting. And I, and I don't want to say that she said Nancy definitely knew, because um, we certainly understood that Nancy was not in the loop with that. But I thought that was interesting, that she kind of indicated that Nancy had heard something. And I think a big part of this series going forward is going to be how it portrays Nancy Salzman because Nancy is clearly just based on what we've seen in the in the trailer there's this notion of hey I was just doing my job for 20 years and what happened and I didn't know and meanwhile the federal authorities found $515,000 in in the basement of Nancy's house there's you know she admitted 
essentially weaponizing the the legal system to go after people and uh, you know uh, being uh, aware of many things and which I think will come out in this series if it hasn't already is that Nancy parroted Keith Raniere's teachings about women feeling freedom while being raped and and his his theories about children being quote-unquote adult-like. I mean, Nancy spoke all these things, and she was, to an extent, a victim of Keith Raniere, as, as we've reported. He was very manipulative and abusive to Nancy a, a, as well, but that history it speaks for itself. And, you know, right as this show is airing, Nancy's in a federal jail cell. So, yeah. so to me, that'll be very interesting. If you look, you'll see I'm hearing from a number of people who had been associated with the case who have told me they're very concerned that Nancy is essentially going to come off looking way better than she should. The line between, you know, you've got victims, you've got perpetrators, and then you've got sort of collaborators, that kind of in, in between category. And in the case of Nexium, it, it can be a bit tricky, but you mentioned the money that was found in Knox Woods. I would, I would recommend that people check out a, a very good piece that appeared on NPR.org um, by Linda Holmes. Um, the headline is What's Missing from the Second Season of the Cult Documentary, The Val, that notes that... That was in Oregon Trail. That, that's, that's not Knox Woods. It's a block over. But I, I'm glad you pointed that out, Rob, because there's one point where Albany is referenced as being sort of the home of, of Nexium. And speaking as an Albany resident, like Jess and like you, Rob... Uh, I bridled at that. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Don't put this off on Albany, please. Albany has enough bad reputation. Or with, uh, Park. There's at least 25 that. miles between Albany and Knoxwoods. Exactly. Actually, most of it's actually half moon. And I'd sit there during the trial and they'd say, Clifton Park, New York. And I, I was kind of saying under my breath, it's half moon. It's half moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, thank, but thank you for that. But Linda Holmes points out, and she's, I believe, has seen all six episodes, that there isn't enough talk about money, not enough questioning about the business structure of Nexium, how these people earned a living, and exactly what role the you know money played in keeping these people tied to Ranieri. That especially came out in even just the beginning of the description of sort of Nancy Salzman's role in Nexium and, and uh, you know, Nikki Klein uh, in her interview. And, and we should note that uh, a number of the, the Nexium loyalists, uh, if you will, are, are interviewed in, in this first episode as well. They talk about Keith's initial, you know, what was determined to be a, a pyramid scheme that was ultimately shut down, but they don't really talk about how the money flowed within Nexium? Who was who was being supported? Who was you know who was earning a, a big salary and and who essentially was just there for for food and lodging? There's a lot of talk at the sentencings of various people in Nexium where you hear about how Nexium used people and did not pay them a lot of money, and they would often uh, have that sort of deal with well, if you can bring in more people, like a classic uh, pyramid scheme. Or you need to take more classes and, and oh, well, if you take this, you can t- you have to take this. And they would essentially keep people on a conveyor belt 
to run, and, and it was a huge moneymaker. If you were to look at the house Nancy Salzman lived in in Half Moon, I mean, it's a beautiful house. It's huge. Keith Raniere lived in another house down the street. It's huge. We know the Bronfins had money. If you if you look at Knox Woods, it's, it's your basic suburban townhouse development. But there was a lot of money flowing through Nexium. There was a lot of money coming from Mexico coming into Nexium. And look at the attorneys across the capital region. You aren't able to, you know, as as it's, the term is used, weaponize the legal system to the extent that Nexium was able to do without having the financial means to hire attorneys to do that. Most criminal organizations that are not financially viable can't actually even consider doing something like that. Nexium had the financial means to actually do that. And, and that's how they were able to basically terrorize people through litigation for years. And that's a huge part of this case. I know people talk about DOS and they should. It's sexual abuse. We know that. But a big part of this case is that Ponzi scheme type uh, victimization that happened. Part of the, of the case against Keith Raniere is forced labor conspiracy. We know the young woman, and I, to this day we've never identified her, her in our, our coverage, who is, was ordered to be in a room uh, for almost two years. She was also a victim of forced labor. Uh, there were people in Nexium who were not paid for their work. And, and meanwhile, there's money flowing in all over the place. It's not like people joining Nexium, a lot of them were not poor. Nikki Klein was on Battlestar Galactica, and I thought her, her comments were pretty interesting. She says, when she joined, people do all kinds of things to get to know themselves better. They go backpacking in Europe. They visit ashrams in India. I happen to go to Albany. And, and, <laughs> not and, Albany, Knox Woods. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that is funny. Nikki Klein did live in Knox Woods. And yes. someone who was a successful actress, she joined. She was married to Allison Mack, another successful actress. She joined. But I do think that, you know, while I, I agree with Linda Holmes' assessment of the overall series, I've seen all six episodes. Um, and without spoiling anything, obviously, I think that the series overall has done, has focused more on, you know, some of the women that we hadn't necessarily heard from and, you know, kind of delves into why these strong, smart, seemingly self-possessed women would fall under Keith Raniere's sway, why they would do some of these deplorable things that they ultimately ended up doing. I think the series really stays focused on that um, as it goes throughout all of the episodes and, and begins to cover cover the trial. And, you know, for me personally, and I know everybody, you know, a, a large number of people were wondering, you know, well, how is Nancy going to explain away her actions? And I think that this episode, at least, really kind of teased that up well. You know, the end where she walks into the scene and sits down on her couch and you're like, OK, we're going to hear from her now. Um, I think they did a very good job in this episode of, of portraying that. A lot of the questions that I had personally about why these women were doing the things that they were doing, I think that they really gave them a chance to explain that in a way that, you know, someone who kind of thinks that a you know, why would these women do this? Why would they let themselves be tricked like this? Like it really adds some perspective to that, I think. And one of the most interesting things I heard in episode one was that Karen Unterreiner, that Keith Raniere met her right after her father had died. And if you talk to the people who've been in Nexium, they will almost to a person talk about how Keith would meet you where you were at. 
he was able to channel something in people. He'd find a weakness or he'd find something in someone and he would just find that way to exploit it for his, 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 whether it's his own sexual interest, whether it's he wanted to, there's always been an aspect to Keith. The more you look into the, this case of, he sort of likes to be the person holding the string, sort of. You ask, how can intelligent people fall into this? And and like I said before, everyone is vulnerable. But that I thought was interesting that Karen Underwriter's father had just died. Many of the people involved are very intelligent. Some of them are very talented people. But in some cases, they're very wounded people going in. You know, everybody um, has their weaknesses. And I think in, in the case of the victims of Nexium, they were able to go to a place they thought for help. And in going to Nexium, you have to give out a lot of information. It's designed to get information from you. So they're going to find out your, your weaknesses, you know, exp- exploration of a meaning, which are called EMs. You're giving information to these people. And what really is, is, is horrifying is these are, this is someone you're going to for self-help. I mean, this is a personal development company. You're going there to better yourself and keep exploited that. 17,000 people got good results. Where are they? Well, if 17,000 people all had good results, we wouldn't be watching Nancy Saltzman on The Vow. And I think, too, uh, you know, going back to the filmmaking perspective, I think the use of archival footage, you know, Keith wanted everything that he had ever done documented and the way they used some of the this archival footage where, you know, Keith would be saying a certain something and they would pull in and you'd kind of get more subtle facial expressions and movements, I think really sold the idea, the concept of how he held sway over people. It was really well done, I think, from a from a filmmaking perspective and use of archival footage that way. Along with that, I'd just like to to point out something that I find to be a bit more problematic, which is when people are interviewed on The Vow, you only hear them talking. I don't think we have ever heard uh, an interlocutor, you know, asking a question. It, it is rare, almost to the vanishing point. And I think that is really problematic when you are trying to, you know, as a journalist, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of resistant to that. I, you know, it's Robert Caro, the, the great journalist and biographer who said, you know, let silence work for you when you're doing an interview. But at the same time, I mean, you've got to ask, you got to ask probing questions. You've got to be a little bit adversarial at times, especially when you're, when you're dealing with a case like this, where there is so much prevarication and salesmanship, which probably isn't the, isn't the right word. And I, I find that to be especially troubling in this episode. And once again, Jess, you've seen the whole thing, this episode's uh, treatment of of many of the the Nexium loyalists that the things they say do not appear to be kind of questioned or or challenged in any way and maybe maybe later on in the series we will get to that but it certainly wasn't there in the first app one of the things that'll come up during the Nexium trial is gaslighting and for those who don't know what it means it's basically saying up is down down is up you're making someone think they're going insane when they're when they're not and Keith Raniere employed that and and really i mean for nancy salzman to act like hey what what gives when you're you pled uh, guilty and i understand that 
this recording was um, obviously taken before she went to federal uh, prison. But Nancy Salzman has ple- pleaded uh, guilty to racketeering conspiracy. The, the people that are on, that are supporting Keith Ruri to, to this day, they're his supporters, but and they they are entitled to their opinions. But there's also facts, and that Keith Ruri is in this case, many of the things they're on tape. Uh, you know, a good example is, you know, there there's an effort in the courts by his supporters to try to say that hey, you know, he was framed and there was FBI corruption and they planted evidence. But there's also evidence. We saw emails. We heard we heard him on tape talking about young. Uh, children. We saw emails which you couldn't print the things that were put in these emails where it's clear he was, I think from anybody objectively looking at it, was was in, engaging in a relationship with someone who was underage. And, and, and we've reported that. In fact, uh, Moira Penza, the lead prosecutor, just did a tweet earlier this morning about how the Times Union, and this is going back to our coverage years ago, you know, had secrets of Nexium and, and, and that we were reporting in 2012 about Keith's involvement with underage women, and, and, and that was 2012. So for Nancy to say 10 years later, what gives? I mean, it's not like this was a secret. It, it was out there. Uh, you, you make a good point. And that was a real problem that I had with the first season of The Val, that it mentioned that 2012 Times Union series by Jennifer Gish and Jim O'Dotto that detailed a lot of the allegations that Ranieri had mistreated women, had wildly inappropriate, uh, illegal relations with, um, with younger women, teenagers, basically, and nobody did anything. And in, in the vow, uh, it was, it was God glossed over, you know, like an ice rink with Mark Vicente essentially saying, well, yes, it disturbed me, but I went to Keith and he had an explanation for everything. And I'm sorry, that's just wildly insufficient. You know, I, I would like to know going forward and just don't give it away, whether or not um, uh, any of that is, is brought up with Nancy Salzman because she owes an explanation on how she and the organization handled those revelations. No yeah. spoilers, I promise. All right. I'm curious to see your reactions to episode two next week. Mm, all right. Perfect teaser. Thank you, Jess. Thanks very much for listening. We will be back next week. I'm Casey Seiler, editor of the Times Union. Thanks very much to Rob Gavin, our outstanding cops and courts reporter, and Jessica Marshall, our award-winning multimedia <laughs> producer, winning an, an award just this weekend from the Journalist Association of New York for our podcast, The Eagle. Please go check it out. If you're enjoying Nexium on Trial, be sure to check out its sister podcast, The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall, host of The Eagle. Each week, we'll take a look inside the newsroom at the Times Union, the capital region's oldest and largest newspaper. We'll discuss the week's top stories, and we'll talk to the award-winning reporters who write them. Listen at timesunion.com or wherever you get your podcasts.